In light of recent events, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge them. We stand with all of you protesting the systemic issues that cause racism and oppression. As Christians, we believe and try to live our lives following God's word to love our neighbors as ourselves, which leaves no room for exceptions. We look forward to a brighter future where racism and oppression are no longer present in any form. Wanting to um, persist with predicting the careers of, of popular athletes and um, athletes that we've looked up to for a number of years. Um, last week we had talked about you know quarterbacks of the 2010s, and this week we wanted to talk about dominant defenders of the 2010s. And you know what? It's uh, it's pretty much the same theme as last week. And you know maybe last week with the quarterbacks who are more familiar with their ages and. Um, we know that they are getting up there in age, but some of these defensive players, I had no idea that they were as old as they are. Um, Vaughn Miller, I thought he was still, you know, 27, 28. J.J. Watt, okay, that's that's fair. But um, yeah, Chandler Jones, the fact that he's 30 already, it blows my mind. The fact that Bobby Wagner, Wagner is 30 already just blows my mind as well. Um, you know, this is a pretty good era of defensive players across the board that we've seen. And uh yeah, I hope that they continue to have some pretty great careers. Yeah, it's, no, the, the the age is the one big thing. You kind of mentioned that already, but um, with the quarterbacks, it was so so much higher, I guess. The age is across the board, right? We were looking at guys in their early 40s, generally in their mid to late 30s, with only a couple of players who were in their early 30s. I mean, that just kind of goes to show you where prime years begin in the uh, for certain positions, right? QBs really only enter their prime um, once their minds have kind of caught up to their bodies, whereas defensive players tend to peak quite a bit earlier. I mean, some of these guys who are 31, 32 years old on this list, they might only have three or four seasons, whereas a quarterback hitting 35, now most of us probably still acknowledge that as being in his prime. So it's definitely a little weird now to go from talking about these quarterbacks who have been dominating the league since the mid 2000s um, and now going switching over to defenders who, as far as I remember, every name on this list was drafted 2010 or later. Yeah. You know what? Um, so if you take a, the list of players that we've actually put together today, um, we wanted it to be a valid list of dominant defenders from the 2010s. And, you know, to continue with our theme of talking about, notable players in the NFL and where we think they'll, um, they'll end up in the, the latter parts of their careers. So it, it's exactly what you said, right? For some of these guys, their careers might come to a close in the next three to four years. Um, maybe there will only be the, the icons that we see them as right now or the dominant players we see them as right now for three to four more years. And then maybe their, you know, their journeyman part of, part of their career starts. Uh, the name that always comes to mind is like Julius Peppers. You know, the fact that he was such a dominant defensive lineman. And then he just played different roles on on teams once he was sort of past his prime. Um, Dwight Freeney also comes to mind. Like different players like that, that, um, you know, they were still able to produce rather well for their age, but it was past their prime and they were kind of on that journeyman stage of their career. So one thing to point out about these dominant defenders, the majority of them were on the 2010 All-Decades team, actually. So I think the only one that wasn't was... Um, Chandler Jones, actually. Otherwise, these names is an absolute like the, uh, snub. Yeah, no kidding. Um, 
there was a couple other names that were snubbed as well. So, uh, but that's why, you know, Chandler Jones, considering he has as many sacks as he does. Um, I just, I, <laughs> I didn't have any justification to exclude him off this list. So um, that was enough confidence to bring him on this list among some other dominant defenders from the 2010s. And so um, it's kind of different talking about, you know, defensive players as opposed to quarterbacks, like you mentioned. With quarterbacks, we can talk about how many Super Bowls we think they're going to win in the remainder of their career, um, how many touchdown passes, you know, passing yards, different things like that. Whereas with defensive players, the stats are all over the place. Um, you know, not necessarily going to predict Super Bowl wins for defensive players, but I think the, the the best person to start with off our list would be Vaughn Miller, just because of the fact that, um, you know, he's been a Super Bowl MVP in his career. He's, I think he's... Um, expected to be an undrafted free agent after the 2021 season. And I'm, I guess my first thought when I was trying to think about the, what, what the rest of his career would look like is um, will Denver pick up his contract when that's up after the 2021 season? Yeah. I, and I think you can't let this guy walk. He's been the most consistent um, kind of face of the franchise they have had since he was drafted in 2011. Right. I mean, they had that time with Peyton Manning, but, in the Super Bowl, they won. Von Miller was was really the star. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I imagine Denver wants this guy to be in a Broncos jersey for the rest of his career, and you can't blame them. I mean, Von Miller has been um, one of the most dominant pass rushers of the last decade. I think he had the most sacks since 2010. Um, yeah, he has just been an absolute monster. 106 sacks in, I guess, is it 10 seasons now? Um, and he's had like some of those were shortened by injury. He missed almost half the season in 2013. Um, and even though last year was the down year, I don't think anyone really thinks that Von Miller is done. This is a player who I think we're still looking ahead to. He, he still probably has three, four, five good seasons left in him. Demarcus Ware was still being productive later in his career. For sure. And I think the interesting thing about a couple players that we'll talk about on this, you know, dominant defenders list is that there's a big difference between the, the pass rushers that use their strength and the pass rushers that use their speed. And because Von Miller is one of those guys that's, um, you know, he's not necessarily the biggest guy, but because of the speed that he has behind him and how quick he can beat some of those off offensive linemen, rather. Um, that's where I'm a little bit nervous about his game. But to your point, he's only had two seasons that he didn't have um, double digit, double digit sacks. Sorry. So to me, um, I think I could see, you know, two or three more years where he's going to have double-digit sacks. I see him putting up those numbers, and, you know, there's not really any reason to believe that he can't um, continue to provide that kind of production. But because of the fact that he is um, one of those fast defensive linemen, you know, that, and that's where his strength comes from, um, that's why I'm a little bit concerned about him as he gets older. Yeah, that's a fair concern. And... I mean, again, I think of a guy like DeMarcus Ware when you talk about a, a, a rusher who got a lot of his production from his athleticism. Um, and yeah, the eight sacks last year was a little, it was definitely a down year for Von Miller and should be a little concerning for Broncos fans. But I mean, at 14 and a half the year before, I think we can rightly assume that that was just um, a little blip on the radar because he did have, what was it? I think four four two speed coming out in the draft, like crazy, crazy athletic. Um, I mean, he was easily um, one of the, the best. Out of a very good 2011 draft, he might be 
the best player. Ah, I mean, J.J. Watt probably has that title, but easily one of the top few to come out of that draft. So, no, I don't know. As, as you look forward now to, I don't know, let's say Von Miller plays another four or five seasons at at least a relatively similar, uh, let's say three seasons at like a relatively similar level of production and then a few more kind of as his career finishes off. Like, where do you see him landing? Um, I don't want to say all time. That's a really big question to answer. But like, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he going to have any more shots at Defensive Player of the Year at leading the league in sacks? Where are you seeing the rest of his seasons going? And that's, I don't know if this is a statement that you would agree with, but personally, I think he's a definite Hall of Famer. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that some of those numbers that we were just talking about are enough justification to say that he's a definite Hall of Famer. I'd even go as so far as saying a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, as far as Defensive Player of the Year, I'm not sure. Um, typically it is. You know, defensive lineman this past year, with it being Stephon Gilmore, a cornerback, it was kind of unusual. So typically it is players that are pass rushers or that are strong linebackers and that are all over the field. And so I don't necessarily know if I'd see him being def- a defensive player of the year ever again in his career. Um, but to your point, if he can put up one of those double-digit type sack seasons, like I think both of us have said that we think we could uh, see him do that, it wouldn't surprise me if he won one as well. Um, with how good that Denver defense is going to be if he didn't I could see a player like Bradley Chubb potentially winning one right because if there's a chance that he could take attention away from Bradley Chubb and if Bradley Chubb has the opportunity to uh, you know benefit from that I could see Vaughn Miller being involved in one of his teammates winning defensive player of the year but I'm not quite sure if I would be able to say with certainty that I think he could win one I'm not sure if you have a, a more certain outlook than I do, but I don't know. Just again, being his strength is sort of, or is his speed. I'm I'm unsure of how that will change as time goes on and as as his career goes on. Yeah, I imagine he's past the point of a defensive player of the year. I think he's really only ever had one season back in 2012 where his sacks were high enough. Um, that it looked like, oh, yeah, that he, he really should be garnering interest with 18 and a half. Um, so, no, I, I definitely don't think he's a, a real contender. It is weird because when I think of the best pass rushers, his name comes to mind. And like I said, he's led the league in sacks since um, 2010. But that's more so out of consistency and not so much out of, like, absolute domination. He's not the type of guy who's going out and, you know, putting up a bunch of 20-sack seasons. He generally has hovered in the... 10 to 14 range, right? Still averaging less than one a game, but um, it's his consistency, not so much his just explosive ability to, well, I guess not his explosive ability in a season to just put up insane numbers that have kind of made him uh, the player that he's been. And even now, thinking about the Hall of Fame, he's currently tied for 25th all time on the career sacks list, which is not bad, but also is certainly not Hall of Fame numbers. But yeah, give him... I mean, three more years, if he puts up 10 sacks a season or like just over 10 sacks a season, he'll be in the top 10 before he retires. I have no doubt. And that definitely makes him a Hall of Famer. Yeah. If you look at the names in the top 10 right now, um, that's a pretty studded crew for sure. Even the top 20 is a a pretty recognizable crew of names. And uh, yeah, definitely players that you could see making their way into the Hall of Fame rather easily. So I would definitely agree with that. 
But my next question when it comes to Vaughn Miller, um, so you're right, like he, he doesn't have necessarily the high end that some other players have, but it's his consistency that is his strength. Completely agree. But I guess at this point in time, Vaughn Miller or J.J. Watt, who would you rather have? J.J. Watt has had two seasons where he had 20.5 sacks, um, one season with 17.5, you know, another season with 16. But he also had some seasons where, um, you know, in an injury-shortened season in 2017, he had zero sacks. Um, the, the lowest in his career other than that has been four. And again, he played only eight games in this, uh, that was last year, and he only played eight games last year. But I guess from your perspective, knowing, you know, Vaughn's consistency, J.J. Watt's explosiveness and his ability to put up out, like outstanding numbers in a single year, who would you rather have for the remainder of their careers? Um, yeah, the injury concerns with J.J. Watt, I think, are real. And so for me, I'm taking Von Miller at this point. Yeah, J.J.'s had a lot of injury issues since 2016, missing, yeah, like at least half a season, three separate times, which is, that's just a mess in a few seasons. And no, that's not all his fault, but I think it's become a bit of a trend. And um, yeah, in his last full season in 2018, he did put up 16. But would I rather have a maybe... 16 to 20 or a for sure like 12 to 14 sacks I'm taking the sure thing at, at those good of sack numbers yeah I would agree um and the cool thing is they're both such disruptive players but have a completely just different style of play and so it's been uh, rather fun to watch both of them and I know like Von Miller as a Patriot fan Von Miller pissed me off in that 20 I think it was the 2015 playoffs and a couple times before that as well, where he was just in Brady's face all day long. And so um, I would agree with you. I think we you have to go with Vaughn Miller for that consistency aspect. You know, when the Patriots play the Texans, you don't hear J.J. Watt's name all game long. They could account for him. They could, um, you know, try and game plan for him. But I haven't seen a team really successfully game plan for Vaughn Miller. Um, obviously, he's had his bad games, but... I think overall, to your point, like Vaughn Miller is, um, yeah, he, he's that consistent factor that a lot of teams want. But um, I guess, okay, so digressing from that specific comment, what do you see J.J. Watt's career going like um, because of the fact that you mentioned, like his injuries are a real concern. So I personally doubt that he plays as long as Vaughn Miller and that he has maybe the success that Vaughn Miller will in the, you know, the last three years or three to four years of his career. But I'm curious to hear what you have to say about JJ. Yeah, I think we have to say kind of the opposite of what you said about Von Miller uh, for JJ Watt. He's not a player defined by his speed. JJ uh, Watt is crazy strong. Um, he has massive hands, and his pass rush moves, especially early in his career, were essentially second to none. Um, he could beat any offensive lineman on any play with a pretty incredible level of consistency. That to me means he has potential to remain dominant for longer, but those injury concerns are a big thing. If JJ Watt had played all of 16, 17, and 19, he easily would have had the most sacks of the 2010s. He probably would have beat Von Miller by 15, maybe 20 sacks because of the production he's managed to put up. Having missed um, a full season worth of games, he's only 10 behind Von Miller. And, I mean, J.J. Watt had a slower rookie year as well. But, the, yeah, the big thing with J.J. Watt, for me, looking forward, is those injuries. And so, do I think he's going to play as long as Vaughn? 
I think he might. It's just going to be the matter a matter of how many games is he playing per season? Is he actually going to be J.J. Watt, or is he just kind of going to be a shell of himself, you know, playing as a, as a journeyman for three, three, four seasons for a different team every year, picking up eight sacks, you know? I, it feels more likely that that would happen, whereas Von Miller, I feel like when he's done, he'll be done. Okay, so you're saying that, um, like to your point, you were saying earlier that Von Miller, you could see him staying with Denver for, I mean, the remainder of his career, or there's a good chance of that. But J.J. Watt is also uh, an unrestricted free agent after 2021. So are, are you sort of projecting that with that journeyman approach um, that he might leave the Texans after that or that they might move on from, from him and the money that they're paying him? I imagine if Billy O is still their head coach, J.J. Watt might be gone just because Billy O makes a lot of stupid decisions. Um, if they've just brought in a new head coach, I would assume that they would be trying really hard to keep some of those pieces, right? Those long-term Texans uh, together for the sake of some stability. So that's, I think, going to be really, really dependent on whether or not Billy O'Brien is still with the Texans at the end of uh, 2021. Yeah, fair enough. And there's there's definitely no guarantee that uh, Bill O'Brien will be there, especially after some of his GM moves. Because, <laughs> gosh, we don't need to talk about Hopkins and, <laughs> and Johnson that trade earlier. But um, no, it's, you bring up a good point, right? Like if, if he can still be strong because his strengths aren't necessarily deteriorating as fast as some other players at his position, like Vaughn Miller. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. And his health is so important. And that was like the huge asterisk asterisk that I personally had when trying to think about what JJ Watts career would look like. And so um, I, I think I see him finishing out for the, the Texans, maybe three more years. I think I could see his career landing there um, just because I think that after 2021, if he recognizes that he's having injury troubles, he's not going to ask for that mega deal. And so if he just takes one-year deals to continue playing for the team that he was drafted by um, and the community that he's a part of as well, it feels to me like that might be the, the way things go. Quite honestly, I'd, I'd like to see him in whatever capacity. Um, I guess I'm going to compare him to Larry Fitzgerald, right? Larry Fitzgerald is one of those guys that you want to see him win a Super Bowl before his career is done. You might hate the Cardinals, but you, you have to love Larry Fitzgerald for his loyalty yeah. uh, to the Cardinals and the fact that like you just you want him to win a Super Bowl to say he has one, and so there's some connection I feel there between um, Larry Fitzgerald and and uh, JJ Watt. I feel that same sort of tie, where I mean, there's JJ Watt's done so many things off the field that have been amazing, and so um, there's part of me that really wants to see him win a Super Bowl, whatever team he plays for, um, before his career is done. And so I think it's safe to say though that JJ Watt is a Hall of Famer, even without a Super Bowl win coming. In his career, I think that with the numbers that he's put up, if he has, a, again, a couple more good seasons, I could see him being a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, especially be, just because of his presence, right? Feels to me like that's a, a natural fit. And I'm probably less confident in that than you are. He's had some really flashy seasons, um, right? I'm sure anybody who was watching football in the early 2010s remembers the J.J. Watt nickname because he was just deflecting passes right and left, Um but overall, like, I, I look at his numbers and, it, like, he'll go down as, yeah, definitely one of the, the best defenders of this era. But, um, I mean, 
compared to some Hall of Famers, if he doesn't a couple more solid seasons, I don't know if you can justify putting him in, especially not at first ballot. But um, that will be so dependent on whether these injuries are just going to derail him for good or if he's going to be ready to actually play. Fair enough. Well, and you, and you talk about that too, or maybe, I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast before, but you say that your view of the Hall of Fame is that you make it into the Hall of Fame because you're one of your best or one of the best in the league at your position for an extended period of time right and so or the that's why jj yeah or or the yeah and that's why jj's like he sort of feels like if i'm using you know that general i mean that feels like a pretty good definition of what i believe the hall of fame should be it feels like he almost fits into that category um there's a couple other names on this list that maybe would go in before him but he's definitely an, an intriguing case and like Aaron Donald, yeah, and he, I, I think he has just the unfortunate situation where he just had some in, had times in the prime of his. And I wonder, like, right as a as a defensive end, missing your age twenty seven and age twenty eight seasons with injuries, like that's brutal. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. But then we've got another guy on the list, like Aaron Donald, who's. Um, Quite a change from both the guys that we just mentioned, right? Not your defensive end, but rather your like a completely different style of defensive lineman, more so a tackle than anything else, right? And and I mean he's 29, so probably a little bit more optimism for how long his car- career could go in comparison to Miller and Watt. But um, I think I'm curious to hear from your perspective, like knowing that Aaron Donald is as good as he is, is as dominant as he is. Um, do you see that trajectory generally holding up for the remainder of his career? Do you see him dropping off soon? Or, or what do you think that that trend looks like? Yeah, Aaron Donald has been another guy who's kind of been a model of consistency. Um, eight plus sacks in every season he's been in the league. Uh, 20 and a half of 2018, that absolutely dominant season. Um, two two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, which just crazy. Um, to be getting that award twice, especially uh, twice in two years. And still, yeah, at 29, not crazy young. He was one of those guys who unfortunately was already 23 years old when he got drafted. So it definitely makes your NFL career quite a bit shorter. But yeah, he's just he's been the model of consistency. He, week in and week out, is someone who offensive coordinators have to game plan around or he'll just blow you up. Yeah, exactly. And I, I I can't echo this enough. Like eight plus sacks is a defensive tackle every year that he's been in the league. The fact that he had 20 and a half in 2018, um, I think it just blows my mind. Like, of course, everyone will talk about him. He made the 2010 all decade team. And that's why we've put him on this list. Like he's just he's so dominant. And um, I guess what concerns me the most about him is that he plays for the Rams, quite honestly. And like they just spend money so easily. And so I, I don't necessarily think that he'll spend the rest of his career there. He has a pretty big contract right now that carries till 2024. And he'll be off that deal, or sorry, till after the 2020 or after the 2023 season, I believe. And so when he's 33, he'll be off that deal. And part of me just can't see the Rams holding on to a big deal like that, especially with some of the other big deals that they have. And so 
I guess the question would be, like, do you think the Rams have to prioritize keeping Donald, or do you think he'll regress to the point that, you know, like it'll be justified to move on from him? I don't think we're looking at a fast regression for this player. Um, he is, again, one of those guys who really was defined by his athleticism, ran a 4-6-8 as a defensive tackle. That's just not fair. But, no, I, I, I think you're a pretty dumb team to let him walk. Uh, and I think the way the Rams spend money, if they can, they're absolutely going to hang on to him. Um, but yeah, they have they have a lot of uh, a lot of money on the books. I mean, cutting Todd Gurley was helpful, um, and will free up some money down the road. Um, Jared Goff, who knows when he's going to be on that team until if he doesn't show something real very soon. So no, I I think he'll probably be there for a little bit still, or like who knows, right? Trade bait. You try to get rid of him when you see someone in the draft who you think can replace him or, or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the Rams would be would be pretty dumb to let this guy just walk because at 29, and sorry, what season do you say he was going to be an unrestricted after? I think after the 2023 season. Yeah, okay. So maybe at that point, like, he'll already be 33, 34. That makes a little more sense, but no, like. And so, yeah, um, yeah. With, with some of the other guys on this list, though, like the Vaughn Millers or the, the J.J. Swats, like to your point, um, I said J.J. Swat, didn't even mean to. That's funny. But, <laughs> um, for players like that, like they sort of, we've talked about what their legacy is, right? Like for Vaughn Miller, it'll be that Super Bowl win where he was just absolutely dominant. Um, you know, the, the playoff streak that he had there and how dominant he was in the 2015 playoffs. For J.J. Watt, it will be like those Swats that you just talked about. But I guess for Aaron Donald, the interesting thing that I was trying to think about the other day is what would his legacy be? Like, obviously, very dominant defensive tackle, has 72 sacks over the course of, what, six seasons? Oh, gosh, like he's got a long way to go. But I guess what would be your um, your thought for the most dominant part of his legacy? Or how, like, at this point in his career, how do you think people will remember him? I think it is he... And I admittedly, this is one area of NFL history where I, I don't know quite as much as I'd like to, but as far as I know from, from what I have experienced as a football fan and, and know from the history is Aaron Donald was the first interior pass rusher to be just absolutely unfairly dominant. Um, prior to him, it was almost always three, four outside linebackers or four, three defensive ends who are really picking up the sack numbers, but all of a sudden this defensive tackle comes out of nowhere and is just dummying quarterbacks. And I think that's got to be the thing he's remembered for is he showed people how terrifying an interior pass rush is. And sure. I, I mean, I, you think of like an Indomitian Sioux who never had numbers anywhere remotely close to what Aaron Donald has done, but um, he was one who kind of did it before him um, or like, I mean, Gerald McCoy did a little bit. Even Marcel Darius early in his career did it a little bit. Uh, But ultimately, yeah, Aaron Donald has been the first defensive tackle to just be scary up the middle. And I think that's how he has to be remembered. And that's, no, that's that's fair, right? And it's kind of weird when you picture, I mean, defensive tackles, or at least in my mind, when I picture defensive tackles, I'm picturing, um, to put it bluntly, like big fat guys, (laughs) right? Like, I picture the Vince Wilfork, I picture the Warren Sapp, like that big size that you want, just clogging all those uh, those running lanes. And so Aaron Donald sort of broke that mold, I found, too. 
right? When when they were talking about, oh gosh, what draft was that? A couple of years ago when Ed Oliver came out and they said like this undersized guy, he's not the biggest guy, but a dominant defensive tackle as well. And suddenly it's almost like this prototype that we're seeing with Aaron Donald, where it was almost like a new size of defensive tackle um, was created. Yeah. And so I think that that's also an element that people talk about quite often. And I think something that sticks with me, at least when I, when I think about Aaron Donald or when I uh, have conversations like this, like he feels like one of those players that um, plays outside of his size, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and like I said, he kind of started this um, new wave of, of just crazy interior pass rushers. Um, and that's why, yeah. like, he got drafted so high because people saw, like, oh, he's something special. This isn't, this isn't normal. This is not what we've seen before. And, um, I mean, it's, it's been just a pleasure to watch him play. He's scary. I remember even when the Patriots played him in the Super Bowl, like, he's one of those guys who you just look at every single play because you're terrified he's just going to break your quarterback. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, so having said that, both of us talking about what his legacy would be then, like, in my mind, he's a definite Hall of Famer, and I don't think there's any debate otherwise. Like, he's only six seasons in. So, I mean, this is keeping the projection that we're talking about here. But um, I think if he keeps playing the way he is, he'll he'll be first ballot. Yeah, oh, definitely. If, if he continues to... I mean, if, if he stays consistent with putting up a minimum of eight sacks per season and he plays for four or five more years, I think that's easy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But tra- transitioning away from um, the defensive line for a bit, anyways, um, I'm curious to th- hear, I guess, if we're talking about legacies, because I think especially with defensive players, legacies are... Um, are quite important, right? Like for quarterbacks, the legacy will be their Super Bowl rings in a lot of areas um, or a lot of the time. But for defensive players, I think the legacy that's kind of interesting is the way that they change the game, the way that they change their position. And so what do you think? (laughs) I probably shouldn't chuckle before saying this. What do you think the legacy of Richard Sherman would be? And just to clarify, the reason I'm chuckling is because the first thing that comes to mind is that soundbite of him talking about Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree. Beyond that. Yeah. Good old Michael Crabtree. But um, yeah, what what would you say on the field are Richard Sherman's um, surefire legacy or is his surefire legacy, I guess? Yeah, Sherman. I mean, overall, I think the cornerback position is really, really hard um, to evaluate because I mean, if you're not sitting and watching every game, stats aren't super helpful. Uh, the best corners in the game don't get a lot of interceptions because nobody's throwing the ball at them. Um, that's, that's just kind of how it goes, right? Everyone, I mean, this year, Stephon Gilmore and Tredavious White led the league in picks, but they both didn't have a ton, and that was just because quarterbacks were stupid enough to still test those two. Um, so when I think about Sherm, I mean, unfortunately for him, part of his legacy has always been that uh, he only covers one side of the field. He doesn't follow a team's best receiver across the formation. Um, and so I don't think there's ever been a point in his career when he was the best corner in football. And I realize that's probably um, maybe a bit controversial, but like Darrell Revis was, was playing for a lot of the time that Sherm was. Uh, Patrick Peterson and him were, were drafted in the same year. And I think Patrick Peterson is maybe the best corner of this generation, or he's very much up there with, with a guy like Darrell Revis. Um, 
Yeah, so Sherm's legacy, I think, will be a lot of talking. That's what he's done a lot of. And being, yeah, one of the better corners of the decade. But I have a really hard time trying to figure out how good he actually has been, you know? Yeah. No, and I can definitely relate to that. Um, And it's, I guess where I struggle too is how many more good years does he have in him? And so, I mean, he, he suffered that injury. Oh, gosh. How many years ago was that now? It was 27, three years ago. That he, ACL. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I've heard interviews and different conversations about this, that as an NFL player, or as an athlete in general, the first year after you actually get back into the full swing of things, is not a fair year to judge your future success on just because it is so hard to adapt to the game again. And so 2019 was basically the first time that we'd seen him back and healthy since I guess essentially 2016 or like 2017 before he got hurt. And so if he can play the way that he did in this regular season, and if he can continue that for a couple more years, um, I think his legacy will round out as tier point, like one of the, the best cornerbacks for this era in the NFL. But yeah, he does have a lot of those sort of weird things about him, right? Like the fact that he doesn't follow players or, uh, around the field. And, and that's something that the best corners in the game do, right? And that's sort of the, the fun of X and O's of football, right? When Darrell Rivas was covering Randy Moss back in the day, I mean, that's what all the hoopla was about going into those Jets-Patriots matchups. Um, there's been so many different cornerback-receiver matchups in the last little while, and it's just, um, it, it's quite interesting, right? There was never that, that vibe with Richard Sherman. He was talked about as one of the best in the game, but to your point, there's always going to be a little bit of an error there, I think, because of the way that, that he played in coverage. I still think he's outstanding. Um, I still think that his his career will be remembered in a way of, again, acknowledgement that he was one of the best at his position of the time. But um, there's part of me that feels like I'm not 100% convinced yet that he'll, he should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think I'm in exactly the same place that you are. Um, I mean, yeah, thinking about the, the corners of the 2010s who just were consistently great, I like yeah Darrell Revis is the first name to come to mind he was the best corner of um of this era for sure um obviously Patrick Peterson I think Aqib Tlaib had some really really solid seasons um oh man why are more names not coming to mind I mean yeah Sherm was, been- was one of the was one of the better corners to play in the last 10 years but I think there are enough knocks on him to, to make it a real question of if he I think he will end up in the Hall of Fame because I honestly just think that the Hall of Fame has way too low of criteria, but if he deserves it is another question. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think exactly by the standard that the the Hall of Fame currently allows people to to go into the Hall of Fame, he'll make it in. But um, does he actually deserve it to your point? And that's where I think both of us are questioning it by the sounds of it. But I mean, his career is so interesting. Like, so dominant in Seattle before that injury. Leaves Seattle, goes to the division rival with the 49ers. Has success with the 49ers. And now, this is actually the last year of his deal. And so, I think a similar conversation to some of the players we were talking about earlier, but what does the remainder of his career look like? How many good years does he have? Does he sign one-year deals and just kind of float around whichever team needs some depth? Or, like, what? where is the... Um, Where's the end of his career spent? Is it spent, you know, the number three, the number four corner? Um, I, I've also heard that he could move to safety. 
And if he moves to safety, is his career, you know, in just as good a spot now as it was a couple of years ago? So I'm curious to see, again, I guess what the position change means for him or what it could mean for him going forward. But you know what, let's, uh, let's talk about the other corner on our list. I think it makes sense to talk about these two back-to-backs. He's a name that we've brought up a couple of times here. So Patrick Peterson um, has been one of my favorite players since he came into the NFL. I just love, he's crazy fast. Um, early in his career, he played on offense. They threw him the ball. They handed the ball off to him. He actually has a career pass as a cornerback. Um, <laughs> but he's just, he's a ton of fun. But he is quiet, unlike Sherm. Um, and I think it has quietly been one of the best corners in football for the last decade. Uh, so where do you see him at this point in his career? Yeah, first things first, I have to say that I just love all LSU defensive backs. And so um, the fact that he was from LSU and like just how dominant he was there and then his progression to the NFL, it's uh, like I, I absolutely love watching him. So I have to echo your comments there. But yeah, I... I think he's one of the best in the game and he's, he's so versatile. Um, like you mentioned, some of the skill sets that he have or has, I mean, the fact that he was returning punts as well at some points in his career um, and returning kickoffs. Like I, I think that because he doesn't talk, there's almost a part of me that feels like he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And he was on the 2010 all decade team. So like, understandably people are recognizing just how good he is, but um, being on a Cardinals team that has been, not that great throughout the 2010s. Um, I think he's one of those players that you still recognize, despite the fact that his team isn't as good as um, as his talent, if you know what I mean. Like, Darrell Rivas wasn't, um, or he was one of those strong players, even if the Jets weren't great when he was on that roster, he still stood out as one of the best players on that team. And so that's what always will stand out to me about Patrick Peterson, is like, uh, maybe the team around him wasn't all that great, but the fact that he was still unreal at his position and contributed to that defense largely, even though there were 10 other players on the field with him, you know, um, I think that's what comes to mind first when I think of Patrick Peterson in the last however many years he's been in the league, like since 2011. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just so rare. I mean, Stefan Gilmore's kind of the same thing of these corners who are just quiet now. It doesn't seem to be a very popular thing, but I mean, yeah, you just see that he has been um, the type of guy who just follows receivers around the entire formation um, and shuts them down on a routine basis. That's just been what he's done for, for a long time now. And I think but the interest, yeah, sorry, no, go for it. What were you going to say? I was going to say the interesting thing about him too, like when Stefan Gilmore plays, We'll see. Like, I remember the, the Cowboys game this past year. Stephon Gilmore is matching up against Amari Cooper, and, and there was so much hoopla about it, you know? But trying to think back, I can't remember a case where we heard um, that pre-match um, intensity like, like that, right? For Patrick Peterson. And that's what I find is kind of weird, too. Like, from a media perspective, being on a team like the Cardinals, I think he's almost flown under the radar from that perspective. But to your point, he's still going out there producing and shutting down some of the game's best. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I almost feel like he's underrated, even though he's not, but he, like, you know, <laughs> I debate with myself whether or not he's underrated. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that he is, but again, I have to admit that he's one of my more favorite players in the league. Um, 
so, you know, thinking about him then, uh, does he end up, you know, looking like uh, a Hall of Famer down the road here? And again, corners are so hard to judge because you can't judge based on their stats. You kind of have to do it based off of film and ability. Um, so I would say, like, yeah, he is probably, like, close to a Hall of Famer at this point. I, I think he still has to probably prove himself. Um, over the last little stretch of his career, right? Just continue to, to put up the same numbers. Again, maybe he's the type of guy who does the, um, the Darrell Revis, the Charles Woodson thing, where you switch over to safety for your last few seasons. But um, yeah, can you see him making a run at the Hall still? I think so. And my exact note that I had on him was, I could see him making the Hall of Fame, but I'd be nervous to say as a first ballot. And to your point, um, that's at this point in time. But if he can pound out a solid three or four more years and continue to put up that production, um, to your point, whether at the cornerback position or at the safety position, if he does transition there, like we've seen a precedent set, um, I could see that happening. You know, Patrick Peterson, again, like he's... It's uh, it's interesting. I, I'd be, I guess, interested to go and like look at YouTube clips, for instance, when he's made the the top 100 list of players for a given year. And you know how NFL Network will put together um, those clips of the, the top 100 players after each individual football season. And so, like to your point, when you're talking about the fact that it's more film with cornerbacks and not necessarily quantitative data, but qualitative data, I, I would want to hear what receivers have said after facing Patrick Peterson, right? Or um, just how much respect they have for him and, if I was to go and do some more research as far as that, I would be more, I think, inclined to say that he could be a Hall of Famer. But at this point in time, I need to see a couple more years to be sure. But he's 30. So I think that he could have, you know, three or four more good years in him realistically. So then let's talk about one of his teammates and another player who um, has been a favorite of mine for a long time. I have his jersey back from when he played with the Patriots. But Chandler Jones is a guy who, again, and under the radar has been one of the more dominant players in the NFL since he came into the league. Um, Von Miller has led the league in sacks since 2010, but Chandler Jones has led the league in sacks since 2012. He has been uh, just year in and year out, minus um, his rookie season and a, a injury-shortened year in 2014. Um, he's been a double-digit sack guy, um, putting up since 2015, 12 and a half, 11, 17, 13, 19 last year, being in the defensive player of the year discussion. Um, quietly, yeah, one of the best defensive players of this decade, for sure, um, playing for a not-so-great team for the last little while in Arizona. But now, I think, especially after this season, people are really starting to recognize the name. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um great patriot um i loved watching him play love watching him play for arizona as well but i completely agree that this is a name and there's one other name on this list that you know are very underrated defensive players and i think don't get the credit they deserve but chandler jones definitely falls into that category did you know he has 96 sacks another player that we talked about that has 96 sacks for his career was jj watt um so when you compare those two players you look at the credit that jj watt gets and we talk about him as or at least in my mind, like a guy that, you know, I'm, I'd be pretty confident to say he makes it into the Hall of Fame. And when thinking about Chandler Jones, um, I have that same sort of perspective, but I have more optimism that Chandler Jones 
with a couple more years, like a couple more uh, years before he gets to the the point where JJ Watt's at, like Chandler Jones being, you know, I think he's 29 right now, turning 30, or he'll be 30 in the next season, and JJ Watt being a year older than him, he has some time to make up that ground. And so, um, to me, Chandler Jones is, is just so underrated, and I think that's that's the only thing I can say about him. Quite honestly, like the stats speak for themselves. You you mentioned it, right? The fact that he's had two seasons over 17 sacks and the rest of them have been over 10 since 2015. Um, he's an absolutely dominant player. And again, one of these guys that hasn't had a whole lot of dominant players around him on the defensive line for Arizona. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I end my rant to say that uh, I see a pretty promising future for Chandler Jones. And I could actually see him making it into the top 10 um, all-time sacks list for his career that might be bold to say but the pace that he's been at in the past couple of years has been enough reason and the fact that he hasn't had any injury troubles has also led me to or led me to believe that i think that that is quite honestly a realistic possibility yeah i think you nailed it i think he does have to kind of continue on the clip that he's been at um I think he probably needs a defensive player of the year award in that time in order to really solidify that spot, right? Those are, for, for all that we said about J.J. Watt, he's probably surefire solely because of the defensive player of the year awards that he's gotten. And it essentially locks that down for him. Um, I think that's something that Chandler Jones is going to need in order to really make a, a real argument for belonging in that spot. But I think he can get it. I think he's shown that age hasn't really affected him yet. Again, not a guy who ever 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 was touted for his athleticism he's really not that fast but he's strong especially for his size and can just get to the quarterback yeah exactly and you know what (laughs) this is going to be a really weird thing for me to say but i think chandler jones has kyler murray to thank for making it into the hall of fame someday and i say that because i think as soon as the arizona cardinals become a winning team and i mean again if you, or sorry, I shouldn't say again from past episodes, but you look at where the 49ers were. Um, you know, they weren't on the mainstream networks. They weren't on, like they were on Fox, but not everyone had access to watch their games, right? And so the Cardinals are kind of similar, right? Like they're not one of the more popular teams in the league, didn't have a whole lot of exciting players in the offensive side of the ball in the past couple of years. And so, you know, you didn't really see them much. They were kind of a, an afterthought and they, they weren't winning all that much. But now... If Kyler Murray, if DeAndre Hopkins, um, if that offense can put it together and they put together a really strong winning team, I think more and more attention will be paid to guys like Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson. And I, I think that um, those defensive player of the year conversations will start to happen more frequently with Chandler Jones throughout the remainder of his career. And so, I'd, again, this is another one, <laughs> like just like J.J. Watt, I want to see this guy win a Super Bowl. The difference is I think this guy has the potential to go through the playoffs like Vaughn Miller did that one year and just wreak havoc. And I think if he also does that, if he can also help the Cardinals down the stretch um, win playoff games and, and you know, if the Cardinals do as well as we project, they could do with the offense that they have. And with some of the defensive players that we're, we've talked about, um, I could see some key things like that leading to Chandler Jones becoming a hall of famer as well. And of course, like what you mentioned, right. Being defensive player of the year, would certainly help that cause as well. 
So with that, then let's uh, let's knock off these last two names on our list together. I think they make a lot of sense to talk about together. Um, they are both linebackers, one inside, one outside, but both drafted in 2012, um, and both playing for teams that. Well, I guess that's not true anymore. But um, at the time they were drafted, for sure, were not the strongest teams, but um, have since had some solid seasons. Uh, we're talking about Bobby Wagner, who I think belongs uh, kind of on the list of top three middle linebackers of the decade. And Levante David, who probably is underrated and has been one of the, the more consistent and strong coverage, like four, three outside linebackers in the league. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. Right. And Bobby Wagner, I'd say gets a, a pretty decent amount of attention. Whereas to your point, David is um, incredibly underrated. So, just a quick comment similar to Chandler Jones and what I was just saying, but I see David also benefiting from the fact that that offense in Tampa Bay just got a lot stronger this off season. I think because of um, them being on TV more often, people will get a look at to, at uh, how good Levante David is. Um, they'll see the combination of him and uh, Devin White. And I think that some of those players on the Tampa Bay defense, especially Levante David will be getting more recognition from the media. And then, um, my personal projection for him is that I could see him maybe not winning defensive player of the year, but being in those conversations. And with Bobby Wagner, I think I, I see them sort of going in a different direction in that with Wagner, he was part of a really strong defense in Seattle. Um, still remained great even when that defense in the secondary sort of dismantled itself. But I think I could see him being sort of that core that allows the Seahawks to, you know, put together a defense again and uh, become the Legion of Boom 2.0. And so I think both of these guys are playing on teams where they will um, continue to play a, you know, a, a strong role in being the core of that defense as the younger generations come in and, and start to take over and, you know, eventually ease them out of their jobs. Yeah, I think, I think you make a really good point. They're both, um, in terms of recognition, Levante David's definitely going to benefit from Tom Brady being there now and more of their games, um, definitely being watched kind of as mainstream football games that you want to see. And I think Bobby Wagner has yeah, gotten the credit that he deserves. I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, I think Bobby Wagner could retire today and get in for sure, just like uh, Luke Keekley just Luke retired Keekley. Yeah. a couple of, couple of months ago and didn't matter. He, he was a Hall of Famer. Um, Levante David, I'm a lot less confident in. Um, I think he's had solid stats. I think he's been a really good player, but I don't think being a tackling machine definitely or necessarily makes you um, a Hall of Fame player. Overall, that's kind of been what he's been best at is just tracking guys down and, and tackling them. And of course, he's, he's fine in coverage. You have to be, to be a four or three outside linebacker, one of the better coverage outside linebackers in the league. But um, that's a really hard position to, to secure a Hall of Fame bid, right? The middle linebackers get all the glory um, for those coverage tackle type guys. And if you're talking outside linebackers, no one cares about you if you aren't rushing the quarterback. Yeah. No, for sure. It's, uh, it's interesting. Like the, the two aren't exactly comparable players for their playing style. Completely agree. And um, I'd echo your comments. Like Bobby Wagner, in my notes, very confident he'll make it into the Hall of Fame. Whereas with Levante David, I just, um, I haven't seen enough of him. And 
probably illustrates the point that he's underrated, but you know, it like I need to see more. So I think Levante David has more to prove in the remainder of his career. And so um I guess I'm interested to see what see what the rest of their careers compared like. Um because and, and they're different players, so they can't be compared directly necessarily. But um yeah, two of the more interesting linebackers from the past decade for sure. And both were on that 2010 all decade team. So it's weird to talk about these guys as or sorry, as Levante David is underrated while he was being on that team. But um yeah, it's uh definitely interesting players at their positions and I mean still I think four to five years left for both of them maybe three or four at a strong level and then one or two years beyond that where they're you know I mean playing a depth spot but still I think these guys have a promising future for at least one more contract each oh yeah for sure they um yeah they're they're both not like Levante David is definitely, both of them are definitely athletic, but they're not defined by their athleticism. They're both guys who um, a lot of their skill just comes from how well they know the game and their ability uh, to diagnose what an offense is doing and to go in and make plays in response to that. So, yeah, I think, I mean, long-term is Levante David going to be a hall of famer? Like, no, almost certainly not, um, but he's going to have a heck of a career and he still has some time to continue to build on that resume. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Tom Brady has a defense around him in Tampa Bay, and Levante David is going to be one of the key contributors to that. Yeah, I would agree with you there. So who knows? Maybe the future of that Tampa Bay team helps shape him into um, not necessarily the Bobby Wagner of the next five years, but maybe he becomes a surefire Hall of Famer as well. So he definitely has the most to prove out of the two of them. That's uh, unquestioned. For sure. So that hits the end of the, the list of players we wanted to talk about. There's definitely a few guys who um, probably could have thrown their hats in the ring. And um, I mean, Khalil Mack is one that immediately comes to mind. Um, there's definitely some other corners who have had some really solid seasons. We had no safeties on this list, but uh, there's only so many players we have time to talk about. And I'm sure there are a whole lot of others that um, could have been in discussion as being some of the best defenders to play in this decade. But um, yeah, as we look forward to the next week, we'll be continuing um, these conversations as we look over different position groups and just continue to try to look at, yeah, what are the rest of the careers of some of the, the most fun players to watch of the last decade? What are, how are they going to end? What's it going to be like? So um, we're looking forward to that. There's a lot of talk about, um, NFL training camp in the last couple of weeks. So it's exciting to, to see the football world really starting to spin to life a little bit more. But um, as we look forward to hopefully having some regular football again, we'll see you all again next week.